You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara in St. Catharines, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestniagara.ca. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15. And while you're turning there, I want to ask, have you ever been in a spot in your life where you just weren't quite sure where to begin or where to start? If there's a home project that you are working on that you've, that you've been holding off on for a while, but now the time has come for you to do that. Or if there's a room that you have to clean and stuff is cluttered all over the place and like a New Year's resolution for you is to get that room clean. Or if there's a school writing project that you have and you've got all the tools and all the things are laying all around you. You've got all the things there, but then... Where's the first step and how do you get started and what do you do with that? If you've ever been there and you know what I'm talking about, I had a situation like that with my kids uh, not long ago. We were putting together a puzzle and every once in a while we'd do that. And I think the maximum amount of puzzle pieces we ever did was like 50 at the time. We've got small kids and somehow we got a hold of a 500 piece puzzle. And so we're uh, dumping the puzzle pieces out and they keep hitting and they keep coming and they keep coming. I'm like, I'm getting overwhelmed. This is going to take years. I mean, for my little kids, for us, this is going to be a long-term project for us. And so I asked the kids, I was like, well, how are we going to start? Where do you begin with that many pieces? And, and I was so excited because one of the kids reminded me, dad, it's the same way. It doesn't matter how big the puzzle is. You always start the same way. And, and you probably know what I'm, what do, we, what do you do? You start off with the, the corner pieces, right? Right. That's the first step. And then once you find the four corner pieces, then you begin filling in the, the border around. And once you got the border and the corner, your foundation is set and strong. Then you can begin to fill in the pieces and take shape and you can begin to see all this is there. And I was happy. I said, kids, you got it. You know, the foundations matter where you start matters. I'm saying when we begin 2016, how important is that for us to know what's our foundation? Where do we start? Where do we begin? And as you sit there right now, I would ask you to, to think, you know, when you think about what you want to see God do in your life or in your church's life or in your family's life, your marriage you want to see God do in your kids, in relationships, or in your small group, you say, God, this is what I would love to see you do. If you get a picture and say, you know what, if there's a, if there's a, a picture box, if there's a puzzle box, say, this is what I wanted to see God do. This is the picture that comes to my mind. God, if you would answer all my prayers, all the righteous desires that I have, this is what I'd love to see you do in my life. What would that be? Maybe you thought about that and taking time. And if you haven't, maybe you and your wife or uh, people in your small group or people that know you say, this is what I'm praying for. I just want to see God do. And, and then once you have that picture, once you have that in your, your mind or what your prayer is, then what's the first step? Then what's the foundation to make that happen? And then does the Bible have anything to say about what our foundation should be? And, and what is the foundation of everything that we do? And good news, it does. And you're holding it right in your hands in John chapter 15. So I'm going to read the first eight verses, and then we're going to pray and dive in. But look what Jesus has to say, beginning in verse 1. He says that I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. 
I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and they cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Man, say, what is, what's Jesus teaching there? What would, what would be the main thing that Jesus is trying to communicate? There's so much there, such a rich passage you could spend a lot of time and meditating on. But what is it that God would have for us to learn? And, and I just would submit to you that it's this, that Jesus is teaching that connectivity to Christ comes before productivity for Christ. And so in your mind, whatever that picture was, say, hey, that's what I want to see God produce in me. That's what I want to see God accomplish in me. God, I want to see you work in me. And this is what I would love for you to see you do with all the righteous desires that I have. This is what I, I want you to happen in my life. And Jesus is saying, before you ever get to that, he's talking about being connected with him. And that he's going to be the source. If he's going to work in dynamic ways in us, it's going to be because we, we do in his strength that he provides So we're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to look at five steps to being connected to Jesus. Before we we do, let's just pray and ask God to meet with us this morning. And God, we ask that, Lord, that you would meet with us this morning. Lord, we don't need to hear from from me or from words that I would have. But Lord, only the ones that you, we need to hear from you and your scriptures. Lord, there is the power and there is the hope. Lord, your word changes me and it changes others as we read it and we study it and we put it into practice. Lord, we're praying that you would speak through us this morning. Speak to us and come down and meet. And Lord, as you have your perfect work, we know your word is powerful and is strong and, and is a rock and it is a, it is a fire and it burns away. It's a hammer. It's living and active. And will we be hungry for that this morning and leave different because we've encountered the word of the living God and pray this in Jesus name. Amen. So we're gonna look at five steps to stay connected with Jesus Christ. And the first one is this is to remember the source. Remember the source. You say, why do I need to remember the source? Because I'm telling you, we, we forget the source and we tend to forget it over and over again. We had to keep coming back to this. Lord, get me back to the starting place again. Help me to remember this again. Come back. And, and Jesus is going to talk. He says in verse number one, right out of the gate, he gives this monumental truth about the source of everything that we do well to remember. And he says that I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. So he's teaching this truth by himself being a vine, by being the source of everything. And he uses the vine as an analogy to teach truth. And so Jesus, he just left the upper room. If you know John, he left the upper room and he instituted the Lord's Supper up there. He is walking to the Garden of Gethsemane and there he's going to pray the high priestly prayer in chapter 17. Then he's going to go to the cross and rise again. And so he's walking there and he's walking with his disciples. He looks out and I think he just sees uh, vines. He sees grapes and vineyards. He says, guys, hold on a second. We got to pull over here for a second. We got to drill down. There's a spiritual truth that we need to have. We need our hearts to be gripped by, and this is what he says, that I am the true vine. And his disciples, when they heard that, for us, we kind of heard that before. That's one of those I am statements. Maybe you know that and you're familiar, but for the disciples, it wasn't. For them, they always thought in their mind that the vine was Israel. In Isaiah 5 and Psalm 80 and other places, God compared Israel to a vine. And he said, I planted you and I bought you and I put you down in Judah, in Jerusalem. And what did I want you to do? What, I want you to do what vines do. I want you to produce fruit. 
I wanted you to reflect my character. So God would say things like, you will be holy for I am holy because he wanted the nations that surrounded them in Jerusalem and, and Israel had tons of nations all around. He said, I wanted you to see my character lived out by your lifestyle and that the nations would be compelled to come to me and that people will be saved and they would see the greatness of our God. So reveal your character, be a light to the nations to come. But Israel, they failed, it was a massive fail. And instead of them, instead of the nations coming to Israel and seeing the greatness of their God, Israel says, we want to go and be like their gods and take on their practices. And you see that worked out in the Old Testament. And so when Jesus comes and he says this, if you would highlight in your mind or in your Bible the idea of the true vine, not just vine, I'm the true vine. What's Jesus saying there? He says that I completely and perfectly display the character of God. Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. He, he perfectly displays everything you need to know about God. If you want to know what God is like and how he loves and how he forgives and what he thinks about, what matters to him, then you look in the gospels, you look in the word of God and you see Jesus. And the Bible says that we see Jesus, we behold him, we behold the Lord, we behold the Lord of glory and we are changed from him glory to glory. And so he perfectly displays that. And not only that, he also, he bears fruit. He bears fruit when people repented and turned and trusted in him. He gives them brand new life. I mean, they are not the same anymore. You look at those that are in the Bible in the New Testament, a change that happened to them. And I tell you this, if you have not turned from your sin and trusted in Jesus Christ, then there's no better time than today than to put your faith in Christ because he, this is gospel power. His life, he, he, he puts inside of us through the Holy Spirit. It changes and it works itself out in us. This is this life that he, he bears fruit. He is a, Jesus is saying that he is the source of everything. That everything comes from him. And man, the disciples, they needed to hear that because they, they just got some bad news. A couple of chapters earlier, Jesus said that he was going to leave them. He was going to be betrayed. And we know that was Judas and be betrayed. And he's going to go to the cross. Well, they didn't know all that. And Jesus is telling them, it's like a big boulder has been dropped on top of them. And so much so that Jesus had to tell them in chapter 14, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Why did Jesus have to tell them their hearts not to be troubled? Because their hearts were troubled. They were breaking. They know that Jesus was going to lead this man they had been walking around with for, for three years. So Jesus says in chapter 15, he says, guys, here's how you're going to move forward. Here's how you're going to advance. Here's how, here's your hope. Here's your strategy. Here's your success. Tells everything is going to go well for you. Here's how you, this small community of believers, will make an eternal impact. Here's how they're going to go and turn the world upside down. It's the same for you and I here. If we want to see God at work in our life, here it is. Jesus says, I am the true vine. That is it. Everything is found in me. So it's not anything else. It's not a, it's not a what. That's going to bring us hope. It is, a, it is a who. We have to be continually reminded about that. That our success is not about being productive. It's about being connected to Christ. We have to continually come back to that, that my hope is not in my wisdom or my strength or in, in my abilities or, or my capacity to get things done or, or my financial plan. I put my hope this year in, in all of these things and other people that they're going to see me through. And we, we go and find these things to try to squeeze life out of and squeeze strength out of. And Jesus says they were never meant for that, but I am the true vine, the one that strength comes from genuine strength. He is the source. When I think about the idea of, of people that are, and I've been there too, that are uh, focused on production and just doing, 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 compared to what Jesus is calling us to do and in, in being connected with him and, and going through his power. I think about the story of Mary and, and Martha. Remember that in Luke chapter number 10? 
Mary and Martha, and, and Martha is the one, and she's there having a little get-together at her house, and she is in service mode and getting the food ready and making sure everybody is seated and comfortable, and she is just in hospitality mode, and she's just going, 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 gotta, gotta, gotta get it all, get it all done. And now the corner of her eye, I think she just sees Mary over there. And what's Mary? Mary is sitting over here at the feet of Jesus, and she is just soaking in what the vine, the true vine, has to say. And she's just being strengthened by that. And Martha sees that, and she just goes in meltdown mode. I mean, she's just struggling with that. Jesus, you got to tell her to get up and get going. And she's got to, got to, got to, got to, got to get, get her over here. And she's just about to, to go nuts. And Jesus says, no, so I'm not. He says, Martha, and I think to every Martha, and I can be a Martha in my in my own strength sometimes, to every Martha, he's saying that there's only a few things that are necessary, and there's really only one, and Mary has chosen what is good, and I'm not going to take it away from her. And the implication is for us is that, that, that that's where we go, that it's, that's where we start. We don't start and gotta, 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 and be more, get more stuff done, but accomplish, if we're going to accomplish anything of lasting value, it's going to be by doing everything we do through Christ. And so we want to see God work in us and in others and in this church, in our groups, and that God would take, uh, we would take ground for the kingdom of God and the source is Jesus Christ. And I just tell you, it's all of our jobs to see that. When we come to worship, or when we come to serve, or when we come to give, or when we see God uh, doing a work here and he is ba- we are baptizing people, or if you were come to know Jesus Christ, say, who did that? How did that happen? It was through the source of Jesus Christ, not me, not someone else, but God did that. Or how about this, when we don't see God working the way that we want to see God working, and we say, look, I'm not the hope for that. How come this thing isn't changing? How come that person isn't changing? My hope isn't in me to do that. My hope is in God. He's going to one that's going to do that. This is a truth that Jesus says to stop and to take stock in and to listen, let it take a hold of us and, and grip us and, and say, Lord, help me grab a hold of you and grab a hold of this truth. Like I would grab a hold of uh, the cloak or the coat of somebody important and say, Lord, I need you. I need you here to work in me. I need your strength and not my own. Help me get down to where you are and to begin there. And trust that you are my hope and trust this year. So remember Remember the source. The second one we would do would be to embrace the process. Embrace a process. In verse 2, he mentions that there is a, there's a, a, a development. There's a process going on. Look what he says. He talks about the idea of bearing fruit. He's talking about bearing fruit. And then he says that he would prune it. And so what, it would bear more fruit. There's a process of a believer bearing fruit. And God working that vine, producing fruit in them. And then what's going to happen is God's going to prune it. And he prunes it. Why is he going to do that? So it bears more fruit. And then it bears fruit and he prunes again. So it bears more fruit. It's just process. It goes over and over again. And so Jesus is saying not only do we remember that he is a source to remain connected to Christ, but also embrace there's a process for us. And here it is that, listen, the father as a vine dresser will do whatever it takes to ensure that we are bearing the maximum capacity of fruit. He will prune us to make that happen. And we're going to talk about that, what that means. But first, when we say fruit, what are we talking about? Uh, the fruit, we, that's something we throw around a lot, and it can be a church term or something that's a, kind of an insider term only. I don't, I don't want that. The Bible is plain and clear. Fruit is just the natural outcome of being connected to Jesus Christ. If Jesus is compared to a vine, and we are compared to branches connected, and we are connected to that, and there's life flowing through us now. And that life comes through through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, and it changes us and it's making us more like, 
like Jesus Christ and has caused us to be empowered and enabled to serve and work and strive for him. And when those things happen, we're more like Christ and we are serving him and working in his power that he supplies. Then the Bible says that's fruit. That's fruit. And it talks about two different kinds. There's internal fruit and there's external fruit. And I think the external fruit is the where our minds maybe run the quickest. Maybe mine does. But that's not bad. The scriptures talk about that. People coming to Christ is fruit. Disciples being made is fruit. Good works and doing those is fruit. Even giving in Romans 15 is talked about as fruit. Those are external fruits. We can see them and we can hold them and say, I gave this this week or I gave that last year or this person came to Christ through our ministry this year. We can see those and we can kind of look at them and they're kind of measurable in a sense. But I'm going to tell you, there's a danger in focusing too much on the externals instead of the internals. It's kind of like this. You ever gone to the grocery store before and you pick out a fruit and a watermelon or something like that. And on the outside, it looks really good. And so you purchase it and you go home. When you get home, you cut that watermelon open or that tomato open and you open it up. It's like, oh my goodness, this thing is rotten and dead and lifeless inside. I want my money back. I'm taking this back down there. Give me my money back. This thing is rotten. There's nothing good here. I was deceived. It looked good on the outside, but on the inside, it was dead and, and lifeless. And you see, external fruit that we do, the things that we do, can be deceiving even to ourselves and maybe to other people. I think that just because I'm doing, maybe I do more and I do more than now, that means that God is at work, that I'm depending on him, that I'm abiding in him and his strength is coming from me. But let me talk to you about internal fruit because internal fruit is harder to measure and harder to cultivate. But if it's what's going on inside of us, the internal fruit is good. It ensures that the external fruit on the tree is good. Does that make sense? Does it make sense that the root is good, so will be the fruit. And so Galatians 5 talks about these internal fruit and love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. These things, what are those? Those are, those are character qualities. Those are internal attitudes and hearts, desires and those things. And Jesus say, and God's word would say it starts here, that God looks there at what's going on, on the inside. Man, we look at the outside and we get deceived. God's looking on what goes on in our hearts and what goes on inside and so to start there, Lord, is that happening in me? So it's not about trying to do more and produce more and got to do this. And, and Martha, 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 go, go, go. And that's you. And not alone, a lot of Christians try to do that. I think they're going to be more fruitful by coming to church more, serving more, giving more, doing more. But it's not coming from a heart that loves Christ, a heart that is internally that's overflowing with joy of his salvation and growing in his love for them. Listen, fruit is expected. God produces fruit in us, but it's fruit that comes from a connection with Christ that matters, not just putting stuff on the tree, hoping it looks good. And if that's you, God is saying, come back to him. That Remember that being connected with Christ comes before producing things for Christ. You say, what kind of fruit do I want? Do I want just going through the motions, hope this looks good, trying hard, talking ourselves into believing that we are growing? no. We want men and women, and you do too, boys and girls. We want us that are producing fruit from a love for him, that are connected to him, that are enabled by his power, and that we're seeing our hearts change. And when the inside is right, then we'll see what happens on the outside, and God will produce good fruit in us. You say, okay, I want to bear fruit. I know what those are. Now, how do I know? 
How do I know that that's happening? The internal fruit. How do I know that? Because I can't, it's, it's hard to, it's easy to measure giving and coming and doing, but it's hard to measure the inside. I can't pull that out and, and take a tape measure and see, am I growing this year compared to last year? How do I measure that? How do I know that's happening? So I gave you a couple of things I jotted down. First would be look for godly patterns in your life. Look for godly patterns. God doesn't expect us to be perfect, but he does expect us to be growing. And listen, to, though we are Christians, we never stop sinning. But here's what happens is the gap between our sin begins to widen and broaden. So if I'm a man and I'm, and I'm looking in Galatians 5 and I'm seeing, man, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a person of jealousy and strife and envy. And those things are, this is dominating my life. And God is saying to be, uh, to be kind and gracious and to put off anger and to be self-controlled. Then how, what happens is if I'm struggling with that and say, Lord, work in me. And we're going to talk about some more things to do. But I begin to see a godly pattern happen in my life where I used to be struggling with anger every week or every day. This is a part of who I was. It grabbed a hold of me, a life dominating. This is all controlling me. But then God began to work, and now it used to be anger every day. Now it's anger once a week. Okay, well, then I come back and check on you again. How's it going now? Man, God is working. I have not been angry in two weeks. And then it was was only one time last month, and now I just can't even remember the last time that I I bursted out in anger and spilled that over into my family, into my friends. I can't remember the last time. What's happening? God is producing a godly pattern in our lives. And second. We ask the people around you the most. We ask the people that are around you because they know you the most. Where do you see God working in my life? That's a really humble thing to do. It's kind of a scary thing to do. To ask somebody, where do you see God working in my life? And here's the even further step in asking, where would you think God would be working in my life? Where would it be good for God to work in my life? And listen, people that know you the best, they can probably spot the fruit the quickest. And they're probably the first ones who want to rejoice in you that God is at work in you. And he is changing you through you being connected to Christ. Have you ever had something at home where you measure the the growth of your children? Or maybe you were growing up and your parents did that for you. And you were going all year long. You you didn't think you were growing. And and you wanted to be 6'4", but you you weren't. And uh, you thought you were growing and you got there, and they measured, and you were here last year, but now on your birthday, you were up here. Like, my goodness, you have grown three inches, and the whole family celebrates, and they're excited. We do that, and probably you have too. And what happens? You know what? I didn't see it. You don't see it because you're with you all the time. You don't see the growth taking place, but others can see it clearly, and they can point it out to you, and they'll probably be rejoicing. I can't believe what God is doing. You're not the same person this year that you were last year to God be the glory. So ask them. Ask them to help you with that. And don't be defensive when they do. Third, we just to know your own heart. You know, you know yourself better than anyone else. And truth be told, you know where, and I know where my thoughts run and your thoughts run and my desires and my wants. And, and you and I know most when our thoughts, when we have a free time where our thoughts go. Are they on Christ? Are they on his word? Are they on him and serving others? Is that what I'm wanting and craving, holiness and righteousness or something else? Where's your mind go? Those are great barometers for where your spiritual fruit is and if God's working. And so those are, that's fruit. 
And it's so important. I mean, Jesus draws a line in the sand in verse 2. And, and later on, he, he's like, this is so important that God is at working. And we're seeing that. He says, why is it so important? He said, this is the dividing line between those who profess to be believers and those who are, are genuine believers. He say, if, if I've known Christ for a number of years, but I'm the same person I've, I've always been, and I haven't seen God work in anything, then God would be saying to us this morning that we need to take a, a fresh stock and evaluation. Do I know Christ? Because the most natural thing in the world is if I know Christ and I'm connected with that power of Christ and his life is going to work in me. I'm not going to be the same person anymore. So if I am the same person, then God, do I know you? And come back and say, Lord, produce and work in me to come back to him. But then that second step of that process is that he does begin to prune. He prunes them. He puts believers who are bearing fruit through a process of pruning. And Jesus says, for the reason that they might bear more fruit. I don't know anything about vines and vineyards. I've never done any of that in my, my whole life. And I'm not good at planting things. I don't have a green thumb. I have an ability to kill things, not grow things. My wife could tell you that. So whatever I'm about to tell you is not because of my firsthand knowledge, but I, I read in a book somewhere, I asked my neighbor who is really good at these kinds of things. But I know this is that in order to grow more fruit, or more vegetables or something off the vine, pruning has to take place. You cut off those dead and lifeless branches. You prune those off so that because they're, they're not going to produce for, they're never going to produce for. It's not healthy. It's not good. Or maybe there's too many things going on in that branch and, and too much there. And so the vine dresser comes in and says, hey, there's so many branches here. Not enough sunlight's getting in. It's, the moisture is being wasted. So we're going to cut some off and all for the purpose of producing more and more for the maximum capacity for for fruit. And that's what Jesus is saying that the farmer does. That he would do that for us. He would do it, listen to this though, in all the perfect care and wisdom, with all the love and intentionality, all that God's infinite in all of those things. And that's what he brings to us when he does the bring and pruning, but he comes and he prunes us. But listen, I'm here to tell you, and you know this, that it doesn't matter how gentle you are, pruning hurts. There's just no way around that. But listen, God, the point is that God will use sufferings and trials and difficulties to prune us. And this isn't a message about suffering, but the point is that God will do whatever is necessary to produce the maximum amount of fruit in us. There's a, a quote that I love that just says, captured me for a long time at Paul Tripp, and it said this, so that God will take you where you have not intended to go to produce in you what you could not achieve on your own. That God would take you. Imagine that a God in his love and his grace will take you somewhere where you wouldn't have chosen. You wouldn't have said, I want to go there, sign me up. But God would take you there to produce what you couldn't have done if you stayed where you were. And as Paul Tripp called that uncomfortable grace. And I like that. That God's grace and his love for us is willing to put us in uncomfortable places for our good to make us more like Christ and for his glory. I met a man a while back at another Harvest Bible chapel. And it's one of those times where you meet somebody in the foyer back there. And this has probably happened to some of you before. But you, you meet somebody and you have no idea they're about to unload on you a story that's just going to blow you away. So I'm meeting this man. I, mean, I think his name was Greg. It's been a number of months now. And he's sharing this story with me. He said he came to Christ early on in life and he was walking with the Lord. He was, God was working and producing fruit in him. And as time goes by, he gets involved with the wrong crowd. He gets involved in pretty heavy-handed sin and it lands him in prison, lands him in jail. 
And so he put, God puts him there, and there's some pruning, there's some discipline going on there as well. But while he was there, you won't believe what God began to do. God began to break him. He began to get low and get to a place where he could hear God's voice and go back to the things that he learned before. And there was a faithful group of people that were coming from Harvest Bible Chapel there, a collection of believers that were coming. And they would come and they would begin to meet with people and share the scriptures with people and open God's word. And God was working there. And he heard about them and he goes and he listens to them. And God begins to work in him. He hears them. And he goes and says, I want a Bible. What you're saying is resonating. I need to hear more. Listen, give me a Bible. And they say, if you'll, if you'll memorize this passage, like a chapter of God's word, we'll give you a Bible. He memorizes it right away. He's hungry for the word of God and he gets it. He begins to grow and begins to change and God begins to work in his life. Then he begins to impact those other prisoners that were around him. And he's telling me the story. He says, then the faithful day came, Ricky, when I was standing outside the gate. It was time for me to be released and go home. As I walked out the gate, he said, I was blown away. I stood out there and there was two groups of people. There was one side, there was my family. And then there was Harvest Bible Chapel. There's a group of harvest was there, family was there. I was looking, I began to see because harvest was intermingling with my family who most of them don't know the Lord and they were already impacting them and getting to know them. I just could not believe what God might do through all of this. So to bear fruit in my family is like they don't know Christ. And I'm standing there, he's sharing all this with me. He's ready to get in line to go to get baptized at the church. And he's just on fire for Christ. And he's telling everybody about the great things God has done for him. And I was blown away. That's literally, literally God taking somebody where he didn't want to go to produce fruit in him that he couldn't have done otherwise. God got his attention with that. I think about those songs that we sang earlier. How would I know that you are strong unless you made me be weak? Or how would I know and appreciate your presence unless you let me go into the wilderness? How would I know these things unless you allow me to go through those things? And I can promise you, as we move ahead individually and, and in our churches, there's going to be seasons of refinement and pruning that comes from God, but always for his good and for us to bear more fruit. And I love that I'm singing those songs. I, I was thinking about this message. I'm thinking, Lord, these are hard songs to sing, but Lord, make them true, make them ever more true in me, that I do long for you more and to know you more and your presence more, more and more than I want to be comfortable or things to go easy with my life. It ought to be comfortable with you making me uncomfortable for to bear fruit. It's so important. I mean, can you imagine if a believer came to know Jesus Christ, begins bearing fruit in their life, and then all of a sudden God brings a trial or difficulty in them, and nobody had ever told them that was going to happen. Nobody ever told them that, that following Christ is going to be hard sometimes. Nobody ever told them that. And they would be so tempted to be confused and so tempted to, to give in. So Jesus so gracious said, hey, guys, this is what I'm going to do. This is what's going to happen. Don't be confused and, and know what God is up to in our life. James says that God is going to work to make us mature and lacking in nothing. That following Christ is a process. God doesn't zap us and get us, get us everything at once, but it's a process of following him as he continually works to complete the, the work that he has started in us. So embrace that process. Say, Lord, work in me. And third would be to, so moving along, remember the source, embrace the process, and then we just say, stay in step with Christ. Stay in step. And this is so interesting because here we have Jesus is the source, is there a process to embrace? The Father is the pruner, but you say, well, what is us? What is, what is our responsibility? That's what all God does. The Father does and the Son does. What do we actually do? And, and look in verse 4, the very first command in this passage. Here's the command. He says, abide in me. He says, that's what I want you to do. This is all that I'm doing. The Father's going to be up to you. What's your role in bearing fruit and being connected to Christ? Jesus says, abide in me. 
He says, apart from me, and you will not be able to bear fruit. And abiding is such a huge part of this passage. Like 10 times, it's mentioned just a few verses. It's the, the secret to bearing fruit. It's the, the critical factor. It's the dividing line. And yet, as I read that, and I thought to myself, and I've heard that a thousand times, but I, I'm, I'm not quite sure. I totally know what abiding is. We had somebody come to our group one time, uh, our core group, a few weeks back, and, and they, they said, you talked about Jesus so much. And they got in the car afterwards and says, would you please tell me more about Jesus? I don't think I know who he is. I thought I did, but now I don't. And it's kind of like that with abiding. I, I think I know what abiding is, but do I really know? Can somebody help me know what that is? And I began to think, what does that mean? Because Jesus says it's a line in the sand. You cannot bear fruit unless you abide in me, he says. The word means to abide means to remain, means to stay means to continue in or to sit together. But I like what one author said this. He described it as making your home in Jesus Christ. Making Christ your permanent residence. When I think of homes, I think about residence, I begin to think about relationships. That's where relationships happen. In homes, in my home, and in, in your home. That's the place where God is designed. It's not always perfect than mine isn't, but that's a place where to be renewed and refreshed and to have relationships and communion with, with people. And God said, I want you to have that with me. That with you will be refreshed and renewed and reinvigorated through the power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. That we abide in him. And I think here's what sometimes happens is when I wake up in the morning, I think about abiding in him. Okay, I'm going to wake up tomorrow. I'm going to abide in him. Okay, we talked about that. What do I do? Here's what I, here's a lot of times what happens to me. Maybe it happens to you. I wake up in the morning and I sit down next to my bed or I sit in a chair and I've, I've got a nice cup of coffee over here because you've got to have coffee early in the morning. And I'm getting going with that. And I'm in God's word and I'm reading and I'm studying and I'm, I'm saying, God, speak to me. God speaks to us from his word and he speaks to us. And then I'm praying because we respond to God with our prayer after he speaks to us from his word. And I'm praying and I'm, and I'm studying and then I'll stand up and I'm, I've just been encouraged. I've been refreshed. This is a good time. And then I get up and I get dressed and I go about my day and I hardly even think about one time what happened there this morning. Now, I'm hoping that's just not me that you've done that, but I'm not hoping, but it just happens. Right? It just happens. And I can't say for me that that's, that that's not making Christ my residence, my dwelling place. That's making a visitation with Jesus, not making him my home. Now, hear me on this. It's like if, that's, if, you're, if you're spending time in God's word every day, then that's, that's what God wants us to do, okay? Then you're doing exactly what God's called you to do, to get down in your word, in the word, on your knees in prayer, calling out to him. That's what God wants. I'm saying take that and then they take the next step and say, Lord, help me to abide in you to take that. The same faith that caused me to get down on my knees, the same faith that caused me to get into the word of God and go for help and answer, Lord, I can't do all this. You have to work today that today is too big and yesterday was too hard for me to do this by myself. You got to meet me here and say, take take that same faith. Say, Lord, I'm going to hold that for the rest of the day. When I am tempted, when I'm anxious, when I'm disappointed, when things are hard, when I need wisdom, Lord, I'm, I'm depending on you and all of that, taking that with me. Say, well, that, how does that work out? What are the kind of things to do? How do I know if I'm doing that? I think Jesus gives a couple examples. In verse number nine, he says, he saw, used by, uh, uses the word abide. He says, just as the Father has loved me, also I have loved you. What things should I abide? He says, abide in my love. So we have to ask, is the love of Christ, is that controlling me? Is that where I live? That I'm reflecting, I'm thinking about the power of God's love, the assurance that God loves me. 
And there's been times when life gets so hard, I have to remind myself, God loves me. God loves me. This is so hard, so difficult, but God loves me. I know that, and I'm delighting in that. i got to remind myself that God does and assure myself of that and remember about God's love, that he has sent his Holy Spirit, his presence is inside of me, and that's there. That the knowledge of God's forgiveness that I've imparted, my sin has been taken away, past, present, and future, all that's been wiped away, and I have full access now to God the Father through prayer. That I can go to him anytime that I want. He listens, he invites me to do so. That God's giving the power through the resurrection of Christ to overcome any sinful habit. All those are, are taken away now. Listen, all those promises, all those truths about God's love, they're not to set up on a shelf and say that's pretty and that's nice and to grab a hold of and to cling to and to go throughout my day depending on those. It's the love of Christ controlling me and grip and shape our, our life and that's taking our dependence and his love with us. And he talks about this other way of abiding. He says in verse 7, if you abide in me and look at this, my words abide in you. So he's talking about the word of God. And later on in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, if you will abide in my love, if you keep my commandments, it's the word of God is his commandments. So then we have to ask ourselves, Lord, am I, is submission to your word? Is that my habit? Is your word making his home? Am I being walking in your word? Does it have free access to every part of my heart? That there's no room that you aren't allowed to go there because where the word of God is in my heart, that's where the power is. That God's word is powerful and it's living and it's active and it takes root in our lives. And when we read it and when we study it and when we put it into practice, things change. God produces fruit in us. There's power there in the word of God. That's where we have power through obedience to him. If we want to see God working in dynamic ways in our life, it's through the word of God and immersing ourselves and getting saturated with that. Put them into practice. And just go to God's word and say, Lord, am I, am I living in light of what I just studied this morning in God's word? Lord, what difference does this passage make in my life? Am I taking these things seriously that I'm reading in your word? And if I held on to this and I believe this, what difference would it make in my relationships and in my life? And God, if I forget this, if I don't hold on to this, then what's going to happen? How would that affect me and relationships? It's like, man, this is just, the, this is just your, you know, your getting the Bible more you know, sermon. Is that what this is? Is this really that important? Look what Jesus says in verse five at the end of that. He says, for apart from me, you can do nothing. So abiding in him. That's a dividing line. I mean, if apart from him, there's nothing that we, not a few things, not some things. He says, no, nothing that can we do. I mean, he's not talking about the trivial things and, and mowing the grass and changing oil. He's talking about things of eternal value, things that matter, things that last. What are the eternal things that are on our hearts we want to see God do? You want to have a greater understanding of God? I do. I know you do as well. The salvation of a friend you've been praying for for years and years. The faith of our children to germinate and take root and to take life. The health of our marriages and our influence at work and people around us in our neighborhoods and our communities. How's that going to happen? In my strength and my will? No. The only thing that's truly significant can only be done by abiding in his word, abiding in his love, abiding in his word. So we have to remember these things. And then the fourth step will be not only keeping in step with Christ, but fourth, we could call this prize the reward. Prize the reward. Look at verse 7. 
We read the first part earlier, but he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, if you do the things that I'm asking you to do, disciples, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Man, what a huge blessing. What a huge promise. I mean, that's just gigantic. That's something we can put our, hang our hat on and say, Lord, there's comfort there and there's hope and there's, there's joy that is in there. Don't you think the disciples had concerns and petitions and cares? I mean, they're their Savior. Jesus is about to leave, and he's about to drop the, the great commission on them to go and, and make disciples. They were going to go plant churches, and they were going to, they were going to go preach God's word. They need, they need leaders and shepherds and elders. They need godly husbands and godly wives and mothers and fathers, and the evil one was going to come against them. They had no idea. They, had no, they, didn't, they didn't have the book of Acts. They didn't have the epistles. That came later as things happened. They had no idea what was going to happen to them that, that year. And listen, you don't either. And I don't either. have no idea what's around the corner this year. But here's the promise that God says. Here's the encouragement that Jesus says. Here's something you can pursue and find comfort and hope. Jesus says, what's the promise? Answered prayer. If we abide in him, he hears from heaven and he answers prayer. And that's just amazing. What a spiritual boost that ought to give to us. I mean, who in their right spiritual mind wouldn't want that? Whatever you ask, it will be given. How does that happen? By prizing, by valuing, and delighting in that. And say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to be abiding in you because I want answered prayer. And some people, they don't like incentives. They say, you know what? You shouldn't have an incentive to have to pray. I mean, you shouldn't need to know that God will answer your prayer. If you, you should just get in God's word. And you should just pray just for, because God says so. But I tell you what, if God of the universe and Jesus Christ says, hey, hold this up as an incentive and say, hey, hey let this motivate you to abide in you. If, you. if you will be in my love and be in my word and abiding in me and delighting in me, that I will hear from heaven and answer your prayer. I'm like, I don't care. I want that. I need prayer. I need, there are things that I need that God, only God can do. My heart's desire is for God to do those things and yours as well. Let me tell you what this doesn't mean though, right? Jesus isn't saying write your own check though, isn't it? Is he? He's not. He's not saying you, you know, you get an indoor swimming pool for winter or a new snow blower for winter's coming or anything like that. Because the key is at the beginning of verse seven, abiding in him and abiding in his words. If you are in God's word regularly and you are in it and you are abiding in that, I'll just tell you, you know this already be true, that it changes the things that you pray about. I used to pray for these things and now I'm seeing what God's heart is and the things that matter to him and I'm just immersed in God's word and now I'm beginning to pray scripture and pray the things that are there. And now that's just going to happen. If you are studying and applying and serving and loving and persevering and bearing fruit, your, your prayer life is going to be impacted. It's going to be changed. God says in Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord. It's like another word for me. It's like a synonym for meditating. I mean, for abiding. If you are delighting in the Lord, look at this. He will give you the desires of your heart. That's just incredible. That as we are delighting in him and abiding in him, that he will actually implant new desires. They'll be changed. We won't ask for the same things anymore. I love that. We begin to pray as God wants us to pray, thy kingdom come, your will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. 
God, when you're in heaven, everything happens the way you want it to happen. Everything in heaven is always in line, always perfect. No sin there. It's always perfect. God, I want heaven. What happens in heaven, your will there to come down here. Take away my desires, what I'm looking for. I want what your desires are here. And so here's my desires. They're way over here. My prayers, this is what God would have me to be praying for. And as I'm studying God's word and I'm abiding in his love, they just begin to come over here. And pretty soon now I'm praying for the things that God wants. I'm not praying necessarily for a snowblower. Those aren't the, the go-to prayers for me. God begins to work. And so if you find yourself in a place where, my goodness, I feel dry in the Lord. And I feel like my prayers are just hitting the roof and coming back down on top of me. I'm not getting any spiritual attraction at all. I'm going back and saying, Lord, help me go back to the starting place. Am I abiding in you? Am I abiding in your love and in your words? Is that what matters to me? And see what God would work then. Get back to the things that God has promised to bless in us. And the final step will be this. will be not only to keep in step, and not only to prize the reward, but then to live out the purpose. Look at verse 8. I mean, it just sums up everything, brings the whole purpose of everything right into focus. He says, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. I mean, here's the purpose for everything. Why is all this happening? Why, why is God at work in this way? Why is he pruning me? Why is the fruit to be there? Why do we abide? He says in verse 8, So that my Father who is in heaven will be glorified. And that's the end game of everything. Why do I exist? And why does this church exist? Why does all things exist? It's to Christ and to his glory. All things are to him and through him and by him and for his glory. And I love this because it's so neat because God does all this. He empowers us. He prunes us. He abides in us. He invites us to abide in him. He answers our prayers. He changes our desires. He does it all. And at the end of it, he says, all that is for his glory. And we get to be a part of that. We get to see his glory come down and him to be, to show himself as powerful and his presence to be with us. His glory happens when we are abiding him. We see him change us and change others and flex his muscles and do what is humanly impossible and humanly unexplainable God does and he gets glory from that. It's so important. I mean, at the beginning today, I asked you and I said, if you were to have that picture, that puzzle box picture, this is what I want to see God do this year. And you were thinking along those, I would just encourage us to have it, whatever that is, if it's not living for the glory, if it's not the glory of God, his glory coming down and changing me and changing others, then we have dreamed too small. It's too, it's too limited. We need to expand to, to God's glory. And God's glory ought to be the thing that wakes us up in the morning and be, ought to be the consuming passion of my life and for this church and praise God to believe that it is in this church. We want to see the fingerprints of God all over this place and all over my life. If that's not the end game, if that's not what we're going after, then our goal, our dream was too small. We want to see God at work. The goal of everything is that. The goal of pruning, the goal of that process that God brings us through all of that so that we would know Christ and see his power working through us that we would know, that we would look and see that God has worked in such a way this year in 2016 in a way that only God could have done. And I pray, and I pray you are as well, that we would see the scope of God's power, that we would see his capacity to change lives, that we would see the significance of his word brought to bear on my life and the lives of others as well, and that his signature would just be all over our life in 2016, but the foundation is Jesus Christ and abiding in him. That God's glory is worth living for. One author described glorifying God in this way. 
He said, God wants to do the inconceivable, the uncommon, the unexpected, the remarkable, the incomprehensible, so that he, so that God is the only explanation for what occurs in our lives. That God wants to do that. So if you take our eyes, Lord, take my eyes off of anything small that competes with that goal. If there's a horizontal dream that, that I've been focused on that's focused on me, that's not on you and your vertical and your glory, then take those away. I want to see God at work here. What would happen if we just committed in 2016 that that's what we were going for, pursuing his glory, knowing that we can accomplish nothing apart from him? I can't think of a better foundation to start out the year than that. There's no better cornerstone. There's no better puzzle pieces. And there's no better edge or foundation or starting place for this year than God's glory and abiding in him. Amen. May I pray that God would make it so in our life. Father, we love you. God, so much here. And I feel like there's so much that is inside of this passage And I pray that you would bring it home to bear in my heart. And God, this would be a year that we start off um, with no other purpose or goal than we want to live for your glory. And that wouldn't be something that we just say is trite or small or something off the cuff. We genuinely want that. And we want to see you answer prayer. And we want to see you uh, uh, produce fruit. And that we would abide in you. And God, that we would know your love this year. We would be focused in on that and who you are and what you have done. And God, your word will be saturating us and we would be immersed in that. And your word have free reign and free sail in all of our lives. It would not be, we would not prevent it in anything. There'd be no rooms that we say you can't go there. But your word, this will be a year of time in your word, a time of abiding. And God, that we will come back. You are the true vine. And there are ones that are here, God, that have been working in their own strength and trying to get things their own way. And gotta, 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 Lord, that lesson you taught to Martha, Lord, today we say that one thing is necessary and really only one that we sit at your feet. And God, would you make this so uh, we can accomplish that in our own strength? Apart from you, we can do nothing. Pray that you would work in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. For more information, please visit our website, harvestniagara.ca.